to tell the story of how we overcome. We ought to use that to our advantage when we proclaim the gospel, when we are encouraging one another, when we are giving a reason of that hope that is laid within us, the story of how we have overcome through Christ Jesus. I think about what Paul would write in Romans, the eighth chapter, that beautiful scripture where he makes reference certainly about being led by the spirit. But I remember in Romans, the eighth chapter where Paul would make reference to what Christ has done for us. But specifically in verse 36, when Paul is discussing he and some of the other individuals in the first century who are finishing their course and going along and proclaiming the gospel, you might remember in verse 36, it says, as it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to save or rather separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We must apply this to our lives. We must understand this. In just a little bit of time this evening, we're going to discuss the concluding point that I have for you pertaining to reception. All month long, we've been talking about our receiving, not in the sense of giving and receiving that Paul commends the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians, the 8th and ninth chapter, commending those rather churches of Achaia and Macedonia, not that pertaining giving and receiving, but our reception, our reception to God's word. Our reception to his son, Christ Jesus, our reception to instruction, which God has given us through his word, which God has set up in the familial dynamic, which God has set up even with our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are to be able to teach and admonish one another. I remember in Romans, the 15th chapter, that we are to be able to admonish one another, but not only that. We also, in our songs, hymn and spiritual songs, according to Colossians, the third chapter, verse number 16, should be able to admonish one another. We ought to be able to teach and admonish one another, but we also ought to be able to receive correction. When we're able to receive correction, we realize the love of God. Remember that wonderful scripture in Revelation, the third chapter, specifically at verse 19, as many as the Lord loveth, he rebukes and he chastens. We ought to be able to receive correction according to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 6 and following. We receive correction from our fathers according to the flesh. How much more so should we be able to receive correction from the father of lights and be able to live? Certainly, our fathers, according to this flesh, want to be able to preserve our life from a physical capacity, want us to be able to prolong our years. I look out and I see many people that are at an age that I want to one day attain to be. I suppose you have gotten to this age because you've been able to endure a little bit of instruction and endure a little bit of correction over your lifetime. But nevertheless, when we think about 
our reception, about how we as Christians are able to be in the best position to be able to receive a crown. That crown discussed by our, brother, our beloved brother Paul to his son in the gospel, Timothy. That crown that John the Revelator would discuss in Revelation, the second chapter at verse number 10. But as we continue on, we must be wary of what we are receiving. We must be cognizant of it, but we must be wary of what we do not want to receive. Go with me really quickly to the book of Second Peter. To the book of Second Peter. I know in times past, we've spent time at the beginning, or we've spent some of our study at the beginning of Second Peter, where the apostle would be discussing some false prophets, some false prophets that went in the world. And he is warning the church and warning his audience that just as there were some false prophets, there will also be some false teachers. Now I'm looking out at some biblical students that know how not to fall for the okie doke. If I were to stand here, God forbid, and speak a falsity to you, you could just go into your own word and be able to verify whether it is true or false. However, what Peter is explaining to his audience is just as there were false prophets, there will also be false teachers. And these false teachers are going to bring in damnable heresies and they're going to do it privately. They're going to bring in sex in a sense of divisions. They're going to be speaking things which they ought not, but they are even going to deny the Lord that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Nevertheless, we're going to skip a couple of verses, but we see the premise of Peter discussing that there were false prophets. There will also be false teachers. But when we drop down a little bit in the context, we see that Peter is dealing and warning the church and explaining some very pivotal points for the Christians to be able to maintain. You might remember that Peter spends a little bit of time in Second Peter, the second chapter, explaining, explaining a point about Sodom and Gomorrah, explaining a point about Lot in verse 7, this just man, he was vexed with the filthy way and the filthy conduct of the wicked. But as we continue to go, we see here in verse number nine, the Bible would say the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. We as Christians need to be worried and focused about how we can receive a crown. And just as we talked about this morning, how we can receive that promise, that promise of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, as we continue on, it says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and they despise government presumptuous. They are, they are self-willed and they are not even to, or not afraid even to speak evil of dignities. We have to be very careful. I know in this political climate, sometimes we don't agree with everything that's coming from the government. We don't agree with everything and every ordinance that is being established. But we have to be very careful that we are not speaking evil of dignities. In verse number 11, it says, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, 
They bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts. Remember Peter still discussing these false teachers that are going to come in and enter in among them. As natural brute beasts, they have made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. The warning, the admonition by way of godly edification that I want to bring into focus this evening is here in verse number 13. Look at how and what these people are to receive. In 2 Peter, the second chapter, at verse 13, it says, They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. It says, As they count that it, excuse me, as they count, or they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. You see that these individuals are going to re- receive a war- reward. That's a tongue, tongue twister. These individuals will receive a reward of unrighteousness. Why will they receive a reward of unrighteousness? Well, because the word of God doesn't have the proper effect that it needs to have. The testimony of Jesus Christ doesn't have an effect on their conscience. That blood that was shed on Calvary's cross has no effect on their lives. Furthermore, they're coming in and they're wanting to teach false doctrines. Just as there were false prophets before declaring things that were not of God, there are going to be people, as Peter is explaining to his audience, that enter in among you preaching and teaching falsely. Ultimately, they're going to receive that reward of unrighteousness. Church, we need not to be among that group. We need to make sure that we understand what is true according to the word of God. Through our own reading, through our own studying, so that when we hear something, we don't fall for that okey-doke. Nevertheless, they'll receive a reward of unrighteousness. I think really quickly, all the way back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah the third chapter, Isaiah, the third chapter, we see something similar here where that prophet of Isaiah during a time of the divided kingdom would explain this very point in Isaiah, the third chapter, where the Bible would say in verse number 10, say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But the Bible says in verse 11 of Isaiah 3, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. We ought not to be caught up in this. We ought not to be caught up in what these false teachers are proclaiming. We ought to be steadfast and unmovable in the word of the Lord so that when the various winds of doctrines would come our way, we do not get carried about with them. Nevertheless, falling for that, going along with that, they have a reward. Their reward, as Isaiah says, is going to be the hands or the reward of his hands shall be given to him. Nevertheless, going back to Second Peter, the second chapter, Let's get a little more context to what Peter is saying here. 
in second Peter, the second chapter, these individuals are doing these things. These individuals are teaching these things because they don't care to be of the Lord, but they care to be of themselves. They care about their own profit and their own gain. In second Peter, the second chapter at verse 14, these same individuals have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. Imagine that not being able to cease from sin because our eyes are not where they need to be. Having eyes full of adultery, beguiling unstable souls in a heart they have exercised with covetous practice, they have cursed children. Through their covetousness, through their adultery, through all of these works of the flesh, these individuals, these false teachers entering in among, as Peter is explaining, are going to overthrow the faith of many. But nevertheless, they have their reward. As we continue to read, it says, Which have forsaken the right way, they have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. When they speak a great swelling of words of vanity, they allure through the lust of flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same if he is brought into bondage. Christians, we need not to be brought into bondage of these various teachings. We need to be sure that here in Vacaville, we're standing on the word of God. We need to be sure that here in Vacaville, we're synchronizing with one another. We're having our touch points where we're coming together and reasoning through the scriptures. As Paul did with those first century Christians every Sabbath day. Reasoning out of the scriptures, just as we did this morning. That through the prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ needed to be crucified. Needed to suffer on our behalf. Reasoning of the true way. Not going astray, not falling for those false doctrines. Nevertheless, you, re, you read here what Peter is saying, and, and, and you might remember that biblical figure, Balaam. In Second Peter, the second chapter, at verse number 15, he mentions this man, Balaam. Remember in the context, he's saying these individuals, through their covetous practice, have eyes full of adultery. Well, you might remember that this man, Balaam, going all the way back to Numbers, the 22nd chapter, was this Gentile prophet, this man, Balaam. He was besought by the king of the Amalekites, this man, Balak. This man, Balak, not to rehearse the entirety of the story with you, but if you remember in Numbers 22, this, this king, Balak, would look out and he would see the children of Israel. He would see that they were holy. He would see that they were consecrated and he would see that they were separate. Well, this man, this King Balak would go unto Balaam, who was a Gentile prophet, and would ask him to curse the children of Israel. Balaam responded saying, nay, whatever the Lord will give me, whether blessing or curse, that is the only thing that I can speak. Balaam, a Gentile prophet, understood that he had to take the words of God Almighty very seriously. Many times over and over again, Balak is just picking on the children of Israel, wanting them to obey him, wanting him, wanting the children of Israel to be intermixed with the people. But Balaam could only speak what God had given him. 
Balak was trying to encourage Balaam to teach the children of Israel the wrong way, to curse the children of Israel. But Balaam stood fast. You might remember that this story would transpire all the way to about Numbers, the 24th chapter. But when you read Balaam's response to what Balak was requiring of him, continuously, Balaam would go the way of the Lord. But nevertheless, when we look a little bit deeper in Numbers, the 31st chapter, something changes. We see in Numbers, the 31st chapter, where an issue was then taken as vengeance was brought to the Midianites. You might remember that in Numbers, the 31st chapter at verse 16, Moses is speaking. He says, behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. When you synchronize this scripture all the way back with Numbers, the 25th chapter, this would have been a time when the children of Israel would start to commit those whoredoms and go after those Midianitish women. What would happen then is by those children of Israel going after those Midianitish and intermixing, they started to take on their practices. They started to take on their vain ways. They started to get into idolatry. Initially, Israel was separate, set apart. But through the counsel of Balaam that would later come, Israel would go entirely out of the way. That's what Peter is describing here in 2 Peter, the second chapter. In 2 Peter, the second chapter, this is the very point that Peter is making through this counsel, through this falsity of prophesying, through this falsity of teaching, the children of Israel would ultimately stumble because they would not continue to seek after the Lord. Church, there are many winds of doctrines out there. It is so easy at times to grow weary in well-doing when perhaps we're looking down the road and a congregation has gone by the wayside. When we're thinking about our brothers and sisters who we used to labor with, who we used to worship God with in the pews, we look to the right and look to the left and they are no longer here. A lot of times this could make our heart to grow weary and disheartening, but we just need to be encouraged to hold on. Hold on a little while longer, not fall victim to the falsities of teachings, not fall victim to going after a way that God has not prescribed for us. We need to continue to be steadfast. We need to continue to go until we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Receiving the promise is where we started. We see that individuals that do not receive the promise, according to Second Peter the second chapter at verse number 15 or rather 14 and 15, 13 rather, they will receive a reward of unrighteousness. Let us not find ourselves in that number. Let us find ourselves focused on what God has for us, focused on the true reward, that eternal reward, our internal inheritance in heavens above. We can only do that If we focus on Christ Jesus, who would have finished the work that he was sent to do, 
and how he finished it at Calvary's cross. How he was there before many kings. He was there before Caiaphas. He was there before Annas. He was there before Pilate. Opening up his mouth, not a word. Being accused of all of these many things. But still able to endure and finish the work that God sent him to do. That work was to happen of him suffering on Calvary's cross where he shed his blood. Why is the blood important? Well, according to Colossians, the first chapter, verses 19 through 21, we understand that it is the blood that was able to make us nigh. It was the blood of his cross that was able to make us nigh unto God. And we have peace through that blood. We only get peace through that blood when we put on Christ in the watery grave of baptism. But why is that blood important for us who have already put on Christ in that watery grave of baptism? Well, according to 1 John, the first chapter, in 1 John, the first chapter, it is that very blood that we can invoke in prayer. In 1 John, the first chapter, at verse number 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The word of Christ needs to dwell in us richly. But with that being said, it is the blood of his cross that was able to remit us from all sins when we put on Christ in the watery grave of baptism. And when we invoke God in prayer, it is that blood that we can invoke to cleanse us from all unrighteousness even today. Certainly, we shouldn't continue in sin that grace may abound, but we should, once we do, and if we do sin, repent of those things and get it right with God before it's everlasting too late. Why am I mentioning blood? Well, the song leader picked nothing but the blood as our song of invitation. And it's that blood of Christ which we need to go. And we need to continue to preach about. We need to continue to teach about that individuals in this world need access to that blood so that they can receive the promise just as we are hastening to, just as we are zealously waiting for that promise of eternal life. Titus, the first chapter and verse number two, which God before the foundation of the world promised unto us. Got to hear the gospel, Christ Jesus. Got to believe it. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent of all your sins and put on Christ in the watery grave of baptism. Go down in that watery grave, you come up a new creature. You're not literally a new creature, but you're spiritually a new creature. All of the sins that were against you are remembered no more. What a glorious blessing that we have. That blessing that we talked about this morning. That was originally promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And according to Galatians 14, 15, and 16, that Christ, as he was put to death, And resurrected again, he is able to pass to all of his brethren. As we know that just as God raised up his son, he will raise us up in that last day. Let us consider that. Let us not be of those that will receive that reward of unrighteousness. Let us be of those that will receive that promise at that great and notable day. That is the gospel message. Let us together come and stand and sing a song of the Savior's invitation.